Send thine angels now to carry me to endless days. We to the Lord, the return of the Lord, and our spending eternity with Him. You all can be seated as we have one more song for you this morning. This is not the song that we had planned for yesterday, but as I was thinking about it this morning, I, I felt that we needed to sing this song. I, I saw this song, the next song we'll sing, He Will Hold Me Fast, sung by a, a Ukrainian family this week uh, as they were facing their attack. And, and I felt that, that we should sing this song as well this morning. He will hold me fast. Uh, because they are, they are at the face of danger. And they are trusting in their Lord that He will hold them fast. And we too should be right there with them. Uh, that maybe times might not be as bad for us. But we must also trust in our Lord to hold us fast and to keep us. So the song will be on the screens. You guys can sing along with us. Thank you. 
Amen. That's, that's, that's what we need to hear today and every day, that he will hold us fast, that we are safe in the almighty hand of our Savior. Amen. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship before we get to the sermon. There was some uh, great singing again this morning. I think it gets better every single week. I love that we sing here beautiful songs. Uh, you, you sit there and you listen to those songs and you sing along with them. And, and that's the, the word that I use to describe them. They're beautiful. They're deep. They're theological. There's just wonderful singing before we get to the preaching today. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 26. And we're going to go into an, a new section of the Gospel of Matthew. We spent the last six months, I believe, 
in Matthew 24 and 25, and we've studied the, the second coming of Christ, and that was a great study. I, I enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Learn a lot. And this week we transition into the last section of the gospel. I think it's the most important section of the gospel of Matthew. We head into the, the climax of the whole book. I think it all builds to right here. I think it's the whole point. You start in Matthew 1, and it kind of gives you a taste of what's to come, and you just follow along with it. It's all building to this point where we come to the cross. And that's what we're going to do over the next few months. We're going to take a road to the cross, which I believe is the greatest event in the history of the world. So we're going to spend a, a lot of time in the next few months studying the cross. And I think that's good for us. I think we need that. I think we need to keep our eyes and our attention on Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So today in these verses we're going to study, we're going to start with where he starts. And it's the very first steps he takes on his way to the cross. And I titled the sermon this morning, The First Steps to the Cross. So let's stand together. I want to read uh, verses 1 through 16. And we're going to do our best to cover all 16 verses. I know that's a lot for us. But I think you'll see how it all ties in here this morning as we're going to take three steps to the cross and get closer and closer and closer every week. And then we reach the cross, the most important event in the history of the world. Starting there in verse 1, we see the first steps to the cross. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, or when he overheard it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial for her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's pray together, and then we'll walk our way through the first steps to the cross. Father, I believe this, we embark today on a journey to the cross, and I believe this is holy ground. Um, and we need to take it that way. This is very serious stuff. It's very important stuff. And I, I believe it's important to everyone in here who hears these verses. I believe it's the most important event in the history of the world, the place where Jesus died for our sins. We need to know it. We need to study it. We need to understand it. And God, I pray that you'd help us to do that, especially these first steps that Jesus had to take in order to get to the cross. Please teach us these things and let us take them to heart. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who has never put their faith in the work that Jesus did for them on the cross, that today would be the day that they put their faith in him. And they'd see how wonderful, wonderful this is. So God, help me and help us as we study this today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Businesses often choose a symbol for their, for their business. And the symbol that they choose usually is something that is recognizable. It's usually something that represents who they are and what they do as a business. And if I named a few companies for you today, and I can name hundreds of companies, and if I named the company, I'm pretty sure that everybody in here could tell me what the symbol is for that company. Like if I said the company of Disney, I think everybody in here, especially the kids, I say that because I watch a lot of Disney movies. Uh, I'm always watching movies, they're always on TV, so I, I understand that the symbol for Disney would be a, a mouse, you guys get that, the, 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 the mouse ears is the symbol for Disney, and it's very recognizable, it's, it's what we do, we have cartoons, so they, they know who they are, they know what they do, they know who they're trying to reach, and they have a symbol for that. I, I could name 
Nike and everybody in here could look at their shoes and say it's a it's a check mark. Just do it. That's their their symbol. I could tell you McDonald's and my kids would scream as loud as they could because they know that symbol. They can find it on any trip that we go on. There's the golden arches, Dad. We need our chicken nuggets. <laughs> and then I'm just as bad because I can name Starbucks and every and maybe not everybody in here, but I could tell you it's a mermaid. I can find a Starbucks anywhere you go. I'm on my phone. Where's the mermaid? Where's Starbucks? And again, that's just four of them. And I can name hundreds. And we'd all say, here's the business. Here's who they are. Here's what they do. Here's their symbol. Do you guys know that the church, Christianity, has a symbol? And I think it's the most recognizable symbol in the entire world. Our symbol is a, a cross. It's on steeples. If you drive by most churches, you can recognize, hey, that's a Christian church, and it's different from a Jewish church or a Muslim mosque. It is a, a, a Christian church because it has a, a cross on the steeple. It has cross on the, the stained glass windows. They have crosses on their shirt, and they have crosses around their neck, and they have cross tattoos on their arms. That symbol of, of Christianity is the cross. It's everywhere. And, and it's, a, it's a strange symbol because it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of shame. It's a bloody cross that we put on our steeples. It's a bloody cross that we put on our windows. It's a, a bloody cross that we wear around our necks. It's a, a bloody cross that we preach. Our symbol's a place where the worst criminals were, would be killed. Our symbol would be the, the same as putting an electric chair on your steeple. Our symbol's the cross. And it's more than just a symbol. Our symbol, the cross, is the banner that we fly. The, the Christian flag has a red cross on it. It, it is, it is a, the flag, if you say in, at the Olympics, they, they wave their flag or, or they hold up their flag when they win. Our flag is the Christian flag and it has a cross on it. It's the banner that we fly. It's the song that we sing. Our anthem is an old rugged cross. It's the message that we preach. Paul said that we must preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the, the very main message that we preach and it ought to be in, in everything that we do and every th message that we stand up and preach behind the pulpit ought to be Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. It's the work that we boast in. Paul said, God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to brag about as we come to church. I don't brag about who I am or what I've done or how good I am or the works that I do. The only thing we boast about is what Jesus did on the cross. It's what the saints of the Old Testament look forward to. It's what we today look back to. It's a place where the most important event in the history of the world took place. It's a symbol of importance to every single individual in this room. Our symbol is the cross. And you say, why is it the cross? Because it's the place where Jesus paid our sin debt. It's the place where Jesus carried our sins far away. It's a place where He bought us for Himself. It's a place where He crushed the head of the serpent. It's a place where Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that should have been on our heads. It's a place where Jesus reconciled him us to Himself. It's the greatest symbol in the history of the world. And we get to study it. And we get to spend the next few months on a journey heading to that cross. I'm excited about it, and I hope you're just as excited about it as I am, because this is the greatest event in the history of the world. Everyone in here today that is saved is saved because what happened on the cross where Jesus died for our sins. So let's jump into it. Starting there in verse 1, Jesus comes down from the mountain. You see that? It says in verse 1, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, when he, he spent two chapters talking about his second coming, the last sermon he would preach is on that mountain. And it comes down. No more second coming, no more glory. You saw there in verse 31 of chapter 5, or chapter 25, he said, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. He's not talking about glory no more. What he's going to be talking about is glory. Verse 1, he comes down. Verse 2, he says, You know, in two days. He now turns his eyes to the cross. In two days. On Passover, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and He's going to be crucified. He has said repeatedly for 25 chapters, now's not the time, now's not the time, now's not the time. And we get to verse 2 and He says, it's time. 
This is where we're going. This is where we're headed. And I love that he goes willingly. It's not something that surprised him or caught him off guard, but he's going willingly. He's going knowingly. He's going courageously. He doesn't, he doesn't get drugged to the cross. He goes to the cross. He doesn't have his life taken. He lays down his life. He's going to the cross. He sets his face to the cross. And here in these few verses that we're going to study today are the first three steps he takes to the cross. So let's look at them. This is just the first steps on our journey to the cross. So let's start with, and again, the first steps to the cross. I'm going to give you three steps, three acts. So let's look at it. Starting in verse 3, I want to show you the, the ugly act of hate. The ugly act of hate. You see there in verse 3, it says, Then assembled together. There's a meeting taking place here. They're coming together. And, and, and who is it? So I'm going to give you the details of this meeting as they're, as they're coming together. Then assembled the meeting there together, this group of people. And, and they're meeting when? Two days before the Passover. This is when it's taking place. And, and it says in, in verse 3, here's who. First of all, you have the chief priests. This would be the religious leaders of the day. These are the, the big wigs. These are the, the, the guys around who would be in the, in the temple. And, and these are the, the religious leaders of the day. And then it says the scribes are there. These are the academics, the, the lawyers of the day who, who would sit and, and read the, the law in a meticulous fashion and, and work their way around it. So they're, they're the academics. Then it says the elders. These are the, the wealthy people in the community. I'm, I'm doing this on purpose to show you have the religious elite, the academic elite. You, you have the, the wealthy elite. And then you have the leader of it all in verse 3, Caiaphas. He's the high priest and he's the worst of them all. Wretched, vile, wicked, deceitful, crooked. It said that he married a 12-year-old just so he could gain power. Because the 12-year-old was the person who was the high priest before him's daughter. The worst of the worst. So you see here, these are the bigwigs. These are the guys in the community. I, I said it, you have the, the religious elite. You have the academic elite. You have the, the wealthy elite. You have the elite leader of them all in Caiaphas. These are the bigwigs. These are the who's who of the people in Israel at that time. And they've all gathered together for a meeting. And they're in Caiaphas' house. It, it says it's a palace. The palace of the high priest. All gathering there. These are not pagans. These are the most religious people, wealthy people, brilliant people of the day. Everybody who was anybody was showing up in that meeting. And what were they doing? All gathering because they hated Jesus. This is a meeting of people who hate Jesus. That's what this is. Nobody hated Jesus like them. If you hated Jesus, the door was open. Come to the meeting. Out of pure hatred. They hate him because of what he said. They hate him because of what he did. But they hated him the most because of who he was, the Son of God. So now they're meeting. And what are they doing in this meeting? It says in verse 4, they're, they're consulting that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. This hatred, and that's what hatred does when it, when it gets in your heart. And, and these religious people, are, are they hate Jesus. They're, they're tired of Jesus. They're, they're fed up with Jesus of all He's said and all He's done and, and who He claims to be. We're tired of Jesus. So we're going to meet and we're going to try to figure out a way to kill Him. Verse 4. And they consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill Him. They're plotting. They're putting their heads together. They're trying to figure this thing out. What can we do? You've got the most powerful people in the day gathering in one place trying to figure out how can we get this guy? So what's their plan? How are they going to kill him? They're after the most perfect, the only perfect man who ever lived. The holy, blameless son of God. And it says the plan is, here's the only idea we have of the plan. It says, verse 5, but they said, we won't kill him. We've not figured out how to kill him yet, but we do know that we can't kill him on one day. We can't kill him on the feast day. We can't kill him on Passover. Because if we do that, there's going to be an uproar among the people. So we don't know how we're going to do it, but we do know there's no way in the world we can do it on this day. Let's wait a week. Let's, let's push it off. We'll plan it for later. But we know we can't do it right now. That's all we know. I mean, all these elite people trying to figure this out, and the only thing they do is figure out when not to do it. 
So they say, not this week, let's wait. So we see here in verse 5, and I'm going to move on from this hateful meeting, probably the most hateful meeting that's ever been had in the history of the world. These religious people who hate Jesus. Understand that. Some of the most hateful people you'll ever run across are religious people. And they're in this meeting trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. And they say, and I've got to tell you this, because this is a, this is the first step to the cross. They say, not on Passover. That's their plan. We will not kill him on Passover. The secret plan that they have is any time but that day. We're not going to do it on that day. Back to verse 2. Jesus says, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and on that day the Son of Man will be betrayed and crucified. Man's plan says not that day. God's plan says yes that day. They wanted to kill him all just repeatedly before this and couldn't. And now when they don't want to kill him, they're going to. You say, what does this teach us here? That God's plan is always greater and overrides man's plan. Now that, that's how this is. It, God's sovereign will is greater than their secret plan. It will take place exactly on the day that they didn't want to do it. Their plan is going to fail. God's plan always overrides man's plan. And understand that here and now in this first meeting here, when they all think they're in control, and you'll see that throughout the journey to the cross, they always think we're in control. We've got this. You're not in control, Jesus. But from the very first step, God is in complete control of the entire journey to the cross. I love that. God's in control here at the beginning. He's controlling all the way through. He is the sovereign conductor orchestrating every single detail of the cross. This was not an accident, Jesus going to the cross. This was not plan B, Jesus going to the cross. This was the plan from before the foundation of the world. And I'm talking the enemies. The friends, the betrayer, this hateful meeting, every single detail down to the year, the day, the time, and the way that they would kill him, it's all been planned by God. God's in control of this. The cross, again, no accident. The cross was not plan B. The cross was planned before the foundation of the world. The ugliest act of hatred that the world has ever seen in this meeting was planned by God. So anything that's happening in our lives right now where you say, I've got enemies, I've got betrayers, I've got things that seem out of control or chaotic. If God is controlling the events and the details around the cross, He's controlling the events and the details of every one of our lives. God's in control of even the most hateful act you could ever imagine. God's in control. So that's step one. The ugly act of hatred. And God's even in control of that. Knows who's going to be in the meeting, where the meeting is going to be at. He's got it all under control. Amen. Number two. We go from... What, what a contrast. The ugly act of hatred to the beautiful act of love. Do you see that? It just, it just turns. I, I think this is a... Uh, he contrasts this on purpose because Jesus is... So polarizing. I was telling Gracie about it the other day. I was driving her up to the high school. And I I said, Gracie, do you understand that there's a quote that says, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. This same powerful sun that we see in the sky, in the wintertime when it snows, you could have all kinds of snow on the ground. And that sun is so powerful that when it it comes out, that snow melts in, and it seems like no time. When in the summertime, that same sun, it's not changed. When there's no rain and no clouds and it just, it just beams down for days at a time, it doesn't melt the dirt, it dries the dirt. Two completely different effects from the sun. And Jesus does the same thing. This same Jesus has a, has a, a, the same opposite effect that Jesus causes some people to love him. I believe he's one of, he is the most loved man in the history of the world. Followers, believers, we, we love him, we sing to him, we, we follow him, we, we go to church and, and worship him. But on the other hand, he's the most hated man in the history of the world. 
What an effect that he has. And here we go from the hatred in that one meeting to love here. Look what it says. It couldn't be no more different. It says now, here's the, here's the difference. There's a different meeting going on. Do you see that? There's a meeting of those who hate him, and now there's a meeting of those who love him. It says now when Jesus was in Bethany, this is a gathering of those who love Jesus. Where are they at? They're in Bethany. That's where Jesus stayed when he was in town. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. He, he stayed out on the outskirts of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. And he stayed with his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We've, we've talked about this. And it says here, he's in the house of, verse 6, he's in the house of Simon the leper. We, we had the, the house of Caiaphas in the first few verses. This palace that he was at with all the, with all the big wigs, all these guys who hated him. And now we're in a, in a house of Simon the leper. Who's this guy? This is so good. Who's Simon the leper? We know he's not still a leper because nobody would be in his house if he was a leper. They stayed in caves if they had leprosy. So he is Simon, the former leper. And the only cure for leprosy in those days was Jesus Christ. He's the only cure for leprosy. So we know off the bat that Simon the leper was healed by Jesus. And then it says, there came unto him a woman. We know from John 12 that this is Mary. So get this. We think that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, brothers and sisters, Simon was their father. So now gathered in this house is Mary and Martha, the sisters, Lazarus, who had just been raised from the dead a few weeks ago, Simon, who had just been healed of leprosy, all these people in this house, this family, had had uh, the, the, the amazing grace and kindness of Jesus poured out or, or lavished upon them. So now they're having a, a banquet or a, a supper in honor of Jesus, not in hatred of Jesus. This is a great meeting. These people had seen the grace of God. Jesus is now the guest of honor. He's not the one they're trying to, to kill. He's the one that they love and want to serve. And the other one, they said, crucify. Here they say, let's feed him. He says they were sitting at supper. These people love Jesus. Wouldn't you? If in your house, you had Mary and Martha who served Jesus, sit at his feet and learned. You have Lazarus who'd been raised from the dead. You have Simon who used to have leprosy and lived in a cave and now he's back home and he's well. If Jesus had done all that for you, wouldn't you love him? Amen. Understand this, he's done all that for you and more. Amen. We've been healed from the, the sin sickness. We've been raised from spiritual deadness unto life. He's done all that for us and more and we ought to, to gather like they have to show him love. Look what they do. Mary shows up. Look at this. Then came unto him a woman, John 12, Mary. We think it's her house. I don't think she was carrying around an alabaster box. I think she went to her room. I think she said, Jesus is here. I've got to give him the, the best thing that I have. She went to her room to find the most valuable thing that she had. And she brings out an alabaster box. Which isn't a box, it's a bottle with a long neck. Round at the bottom had a neck with a small opening at the end. And in that long bottle was perfume, precious ointment. How precious? I think Mark 14 says that it was worth 300 denarii, which would be the equivalent of a year's wages. This was valuable stuff. The bottle was expensive and what was in the bottle was expensive. This was probably an heirloom that she had been passed down. She would probably use it for her wedding. Saving it for that special day. It's the most valuable thing she had. It was normal when somebody came into your house and you was the guest of honor for them to take a little bit of perfume and to drop it on your head. You're in, the, you're in the desert. I mean, it's hot. There's sand everywhere. They didn't have deodorant. You can imagine the, the stench 
of 12 fishermen walking into that house. Been out on a boat, been fishing, been cleaning them up. I mean, been sweating. It's, it's sunny. It's nasty. You're going to need a little bit of perfume somewhere. So these guys walk in and they have, you know, sitting by the side, a, a little bit of cheap perfume. Something you'd buy at Walmart. <laughs> and you just take it and, you know, drop a little bit on your finger and put it on, put it on their head. You stink. <laughs> That's what they did. That was normal. You walk in the house and, and we see that. They'd, they'd wash feet and they'd, they'd drop a little bit of, of perfume on your head to make the house not stink for dinner. This is a, this is a banquet. They, they want to make it nice. But when Jesus walks in, she goes and gets the most expensive thing she has. This is a, a year's worth of, uh, uh, of your work. Imagine that. If there's somebody here who makes $30,000 a year, that was worth $30,000 to her. If there's somebody here who makes $60,000 a year, that, that's the equivalent of what you'd be giving him. And she doesn't take one drop on him. She breaks it open to where the bottle can never be used again and where there wouldn't be a drop left in the bottom. She's not going to sit there and drop, drop, drop. She shatters it. I don't know how she shattered it. Maybe a hammer laying around, cracked that thing open, and Jesus is laying there at dinner, and it says she pours it on his head. And it runs down his head all the way to his feet. And she takes her hair and rubs with her hair into his feet. <laughs> wow. She's going above and beyond. That's like when the, if we were to pass an offering plate and you're sitting there thinking, what am I going to put in? And you're, you're going through all the cash that you have. And you're like, forget this. I'm putting the whole wallet in there. Take my car keys too. And my firstborn. <laughs> I've got five. <laughs> I mean, he's, she's given everything she has. You get that? She's leaving nothing. She went above and beyond. She didn't leave a drop. She anointed his head with oil. It's a beautiful act of love. She had had his love lavished upon her by raising her brother and healing her dad. And now in return, she wanted to lavish her love on him. If you know the love of God, you will show the love of God. If you've had the love of God lavished on your life, you will lavish your love back to him. And that's what she does. She gave her best. She gave her all, down to the last drop. And most of us won't do that. I can apply this. Because I think most of us do what the normal thing is and we give a little drop here and we give a little drop there. And we think that's enough. If Jesus has given you a little drop here and a little drop there, then maybe you can give a little drop to Him and a, and a little drop there. But if He has lavished His love on you like He has, and the Bible says that He has abundantly and, and overflowingly and, and, and lavishly shown us His love and, and giving us the best that He has in sending us His Son and, and going to the cross, then shouldn't we lavishly show our love back to Him? Our love shouldn't be a, a little drop when His love has been all out. So because he showed great love to them, she's showing great love back. Most of us complain if we have to give one drop. Right? <sighs> to go to church on Sunday. Really? Josh wants me to come back on Sunday night. What does he think? You know? Isn't one hour of his preaching enough? She poured it all. And the disciples think like we do. Look what they said. Verse 8, the disciples saw it. You see that? I don't know if the disciples saw it or they smelled it. I got, I got two boys. And you walk in their bedroom and if they spray one little spray of that Axe cologne, it's going through the whole house. Instead will say, they're in there spraying that cologne again. I mean, we're across the house. Can you imagine this? That she took a whole bottle and poured it on his head and it dripped all the way down to his feet. I'm sure in Simon's house, that smell was all over the place. I bet you that smell was on Jesus when he went to the cross. And they get mad. Look what they say. That's what, that's what the word is there. Indignation. 
That means they're, they're outraged. They're, they're shocked. The word actually means to snort like a horse. I practiced it last night. I couldn't get it. <laughs> so get this. When they saw that or when they smelled that, they, they, they see her do that and they do. Still didn't get it. There you go. Somebody got it. <laughs> that, that's what they're doing there. I mean, they're, they're, they're angry about it. What, what's she doing? And then they actually say there, to what purpose is this waste? She's wasting that on Jesus. I think it's John that says Judas is the one that says it. He's furious. He's leading the charge. And he adds, she wasted that on him? When we could have sold that and gave it to the poor? The poor was not on Judas's mind. Poor Judas was on Judas's mind. That could have been sold. And the money given to me. And I would have held it in, in my bag for everybody. I, I would have took care of it. And distributed it to the poor. They're furious at her. It shows here. They would have been fine with a little. They would have been cool with a drop. That's normal. She went too far. She went to the extreme. She made them look bad. They didn't do that. And we're no different. We're cool with extreme when it comes to career. Yeah, give everything you have to your career. We're cool with it when it's sports. Yeah, you need to, to work out. You need to give everything you have, every last bit of energy. I mean, you need to leave it all on the court. Give everything that you have. We applaud athletes who pour themselves, even at the expense of their families and everything else, for their sport or their career. We love that. But if you pour it all out for Jesus, people mock you. Well, that's going too far. Take it easy. Calm down. Church three times a week. <laughs> you know why? All because we don't want to give more than a drip. When she gave all. So Jesus looks at her, at them. He gets word of it. I'm going to work my way through this. We go from one meeting to the next. And Jesus says when he understood it, when he was aware of it, when he got word of it, he saw the whispering. He saw the complaining. He saw them pointing fingers at her. What's she doing? And he, he, got, he became aware of it. He, he understood it, it says there. And he said unto them, Back off, boys! <laughs> I think that's what it means in the Greek. And I, I, he says, Why trouble you the woman? I, mean, I think that's what he's saying. Leave her alone! Back off, guys! I think there's 12 disciples sitting there saying, what's she doing? I think Judas started it. And I think the other 11 like, yeah, Judas is right. That's the influence that he had. Now they're all saying that. Yeah, she's making us look bad. We could have, we could have sold that and gave it to the poor. Man, what's she doing? She's wasting it. And Jesus says, hey guys, that's enough. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have heard Jesus say that? That's it, guys. No more. Leave her alone. She's done a good work. You see that? She's wrought a good work on me. She's done, and that word good means beautiful. She's done a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful act of love. She, she's done an excellent thing. She's done the best thing that you could do. Jesus is saying there, you call it a waste, and I say it's worth it. He's saying here that nothing you do for Jesus is ever wasted. That's good. Bill Gates said, I don't like quoting Bill Gates. Don't write this down. Don't, 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 don't quote me on this. Josh is quoting Bill Gates. He said, I would never go to church on Sunday. There's so much other things that I could do on Sunday that's better than going to church. And you mock. But we live that way a lot. So many other things that we could do. That's a waste of my time and there's something more worthy of my time. We may not say that. You say, oh, Bill Gates, what's he know? Our lips would never say that, but our lives often say the opposite. 
It's a waste of time to do that. It's a, a waste to do this. It's a waste to give to the church. It's a, a waste to serve. It's a, it's, it's a waste to show up. It's a waste. It's a, it's a waste. And there's so many other things that I could be doing somewhere else. And Jesus says, it's not a waste. It's a good thing that you do this. Anything and everything you do for Christ is never a waste. It wasn't a waste. Jesus said, she's done the good thing. And then he said, the poor you've got, you've got to go with you always, but I'm only here for a couple more days. I'm only going to be here a little, little, a couple more days. This might be your last chance. The poor is a good thing, but Jesus is a better thing. I think there's a lesson you can learn here from Mary. She was always at the feet of Jesus. Learning from Jesus is better than serving Jesus. That's what we learn there. Mary was at the feet of Jesus learning and Martha was in the kitchen working and Jesus said, no, she's done the better thing. It's not that serving is a bad thing, but learning from Jesus is a better thing. And then here, Mary's loving Jesus and he says, loving Jesus is better than giving to the poor. Not that giving to the poor is a bad thing, but loving on Jesus and worshiping Him is better than giving to the poor. I'm not even looking at the clock. I'm just going through it. He says in verse 12, for in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she knows what she's doing. Mary knew exactly what she was doing. The disciples had no clue. Jesus kept telling them, I want to die, I want to die, I want to, I want to die, I want to die. And they kept saying, no, no, you're not. Mary heard it. She believed it. She knew she only had a couple more days with him, and she was preparing him for his burial. Look at this. She hath poured this ointment on my body, and she did it for my burial. This is for my preparation. The head she's pouring it on will have the crown of thorns on it in a couple days. Rubbing it on his feet and it's going to have a nail in it soon. She done the right thing. And Jesus adds, and I love this. And verily I say unto you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, in every continent that it's ever preached, there may be people in the Ukraine right now that's preaching this same passage and talking about this same thing she did for him. In every continent, in every generation, in every age, in every place, in every church, in every pulpit, all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ himself, this act will be talked about as a memorial for what she's done. Amen. People will hear what she did. And here we are today doing exactly what Jesus said would be done. I stand before you today preaching about this act that Mary did for Jesus. This beautiful act of love. So let me apply it and we'll move on to the last. I guarantee you Mary never regretted a single bit of that she poured out on him. I guarantee you they may have looked at her and said, you wasted that. You have nothing for your wedding now. You could have sold that when times got bad. I, but she's, I don't regret a drop of it. Not one drop of what I did for him. And because of that, one act, and it was probably more than one act, it was a life that she lived, but she lives on and has never been forgotten because of her love for Jesus. You, you get that? If you want to last beyond today and beyond the next month or the next year or beyond your own grave, then live for Jesus Christ. Love Him. That, that's, that's the way to, to not regret life. If you live for Jesus and you pour it all out for Jesus and you do everything you can for Jesus and you serve Him and, and love Him and worship Him and, and believe in Him, then at the end of your life, you'll have zero regrets for how you lived. Zero. I am so glad I poured out everything that I had for Jesus. A lot of people go to the grave with regrets. Shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have spent this. Shouldn't have all these shouldn't have. But if you've lived for Jesus, you'll have zero regrets, Amen. and your name will go beyond your grave. The ones who are remembered are the ones who serve Jesus and love Jesus. You'll never regret a dime you gave him, a second you spent on him, or the effort that you gave. A life poured out for Christ will live on and on and on and on and on. Amen. A life lived for yourself will take us to the next story. Verse 14. Because now we go from how 
You see how these things are tied together? Because we go from Mary, who's always going to be remembered in a, in a wonderful light, to Judas, who leaves that meeting. How's he remembered? Not so well. Mary lived for Jesus and poured it all out for Jesus. Judas lived for himself and gave everything he had for himself. Last step, the evil act of betrayal. The ugly act of hate was number one. The beautiful act of love was number two. And now we have the evil act of betrayal. It says, this is this, I, I tried my best not to end the sermon today with this passage. I wanted to skip it. I hardly ever want to skip anything. You know, you know me. I don't skip exclamation points and periods. I wanted to skip this. I don't like these verses. Because on one end you have people who hate him. On the other end you have people who love him. And right smack dab in the middle you have a hypocrite. That's the only three groups of people you have. And you're in one of these three groups. And I don't think there's anybody in here that hates him. I think there's a lot of people in here that love him. But I think in, in a lot of churches all across America, the number one group you have in churches are the hypocrites who try to straddle the fence and stand in the middle. And that's who he is. Look what it says. Then one of the twelve. Man, this is just heartbreaking. One of the twelve called Judas Iscariot. That name goes down in history as a traitor. As one who betrayed him. As one who turned his back on Jesus. We're seeing that more and more in the church today than we've ever seen it. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be a great apostasy when many in the church are going to turn their back on Jesus. And we're seeing that like you wouldn't believe in the church today. They're turning their back on Jesus and for what? Judas turned his back on Jesus for, what is it there, 30 pieces of silver? We sold him out for, and we're, the people in the church today are selling him out for a, a whole lot less. Look what it says. I'm, I'm having a hard time even getting into it. One of the twelve. I mean, Judas is, is one that's been with Jesus for, for three years. He wasn't just one of the twelve that's kind of sitting in the background. He was the treasurer of the group. He carried the money. He was stealing and then he, you know, they didn't even know it. He was, he was putting it in his own pocket. He's a hypocrite and they didn't know it. I mean, there are 12 of them with, with Judas for three years and it's kind of like, he's one of our guys. He's in the leadership. He, he's the top of the class. He's the good guy. And then all of a sudden right here, the truth comes out about him. He's been a hypocrite the whole time. It happens in churches all the time. I thought they loved him. They've turned their back on him. You either hate him or love him or you're in the middle of a hypocrite. Where are you? You didn't know we'd go there, did you? What's this? He'd heard all the sermons. He'd saw all the miracles. He'd sit at dinner. He'd been close. Closer to Jesus than any of us. And he turned his back on him. And he joined the other side. Look what he does. One of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the other meeting. You see that? So there's two meetings. The meeting of those who hate him. The banquet for those who love him. Judas was in the banquet for those who loved him. And Judas decides, I'm going to leave and go to the meeting for those who hate him. Look what it says. He called, they called him, he went unto the chief priests. Who's that? Right back up to verse three. Then assembled the, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the people, the palace of the high priest was called Caiaphas. And they're sitting there still in the room, consoling. How can we get this guy? I mean, we, we gotta do it in a subtle way. We gotta, we're gonna kill him. We can't do it on, on the feast day. We gotta figure this out. And then they hear, you with me? Who's that? And they open the door, and it's the last person they'd ever expect to see at the door. It's one of his own. One of his own. And they open the door. 
And Judas has shown himself to be the hypocrite who is trying to play the middle. There's a lot of people in the church today who's trying to play the middle. Trying to straddle the fence. Trying to, to love. You know, I, I, I don't hate him. But I'm not pouring my orbit out for him, you know. I mean, I'm not crazy about him. You know what you are? You're a hypocrite. You, it's one or the other. I mean, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not like the pagans, you know. I'm not like those people on TV. They hate Jesus. But I'm not like those people at the church that they're there all the time. That's crazy. I could take that money that they give the church and I could, I could, I could get me something. <laughs> you're not giving it to the poor, you're giving it to poor people below you. I don't love him like that, but I don't hate him. So I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm what, what, what some would call lukewarm. <laughs> it's impossible to stay in the middle. Are you with me on this? I've got to hurry. Those who are lukewarm, those who are in the middle, those who are straddling the fence, those who are in the middle of the, middle of the road, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow, you know, you're going to fall off one way or the other. Jesus is so polarizing that it's impossible for someone to stay in the middle. It's either going to melt the snow or harden the, the clay. It's one or the other. And you will reveal yourself. You're going to go one way or the other. And we're just seeing today as the times get harder in the church, we're seeing people fall away. You're going to, and we know that. When all this stuff started happening, we knew they're going to fall away into hatred and turn away from Him. Or they're going to love Him and draw closer to Him than they ever had before. You're one or the other. So Judas here, uh, hanging out in the middle, goes to the meeting and, and, it, and turns into hatred. I don't think anybody hated Jesus any more than Judas now. He does the, the, the last thing you could ever uh, 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 imagine. And he says, i, I got to hurry. And he said unto them, they've opened the door. Like, what, what does he want? He's one of them. And he says, what will you give me? Let's cut a deal. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? What can I get out of you? Judas is starting to see things on this side aren't going so well. He says he's going to die on a cross, crucifixion, criminal, shame. I've got to get out while the getting's good. They're pouring, pouring ointment out. So instead of pouring 300 denarii worth of ointment out on Jesus, Judas takes a deal for 330 pieces of silver. This is exactly what they needed. He's the key to their plan. He's an insider. They're going to help. He's going to help them get him. They offer Judas 30 pieces of silver. They shake on it. And he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. We like to point fingers at Judas for 30 pieces of silver, but I think we do it for a whole lot less. And verse 16 says, and from that moment on, and we'll see this on our journey to the cross, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Same word that Jesus used down in verse 2, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and be crucified. Is Jesus not in complete control of the whole thing? I'm going to be betrayed. And this insider didn't even surprise him. So from that time on, Judas is trying to figure out how can I betray him? How can I catch him at his most vulnerable? How can I find him when he's most susceptible? How can I catch him when he's unaware? And the answer is, I got it. Judas has a plan. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I know where he's going to be. He's going to be in a garden. It's going to be in the middle of the night. Nobody else is going to be around him. There's not going to be any crowds that's going to get stirred up. So I know he'll be there. And, I, and I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll kiss him on the cheek. And they'll know it's him and they'll catch him. And it'll be very subtle and easy. Judas is the key to their plan. And the whole thing is being worked out by God to get us to the cross. These are the necessary ste steps to the cross. Even an evil act of betrayal. So let me ask this question and I'll close. Which one are you more like? I mean, I've already said it. Sitting here today, there's three groups of people. We can be divided into three different groups. 
hate him. And I, I can imagine <laughs> that there's nobody in this church right now that would say, I hate Jesus. I don't have anything to do with him. I can't stand what he says. I can't stand what he does. I can't stand who he says he is. That he's the son of God. I'm throwing my fist up at him. I, I can imagine nobody here would say they hate Jesus. You wouldn't be here today if you did. So we can, we can go ahead and get rid of that group, I think. There's nobody here mocking me or anything. I, th- I think we can, uh, safe to say, I mean, you can, you can nod at me and say, yeah, I would, nobody else hate, hate Jesus here. So now we're down to two groups. Do you love him like she did? Because you read that story and we went through that and you're thinking, she's a little bit extreme. I'm not there. And I wouldn't go there. But you're either closer to that or you're a hypocrite. Sitting in the middle trying to figure out which way you're going to go. I think there's a lot of people like that. I don't hate him. I don't love him. I'm not pouring out ointment on him. I'm not giving him everything I have. I'm not spending my life on him. Maybe you're in the middle. Pretending to follow him. Listening to sermons. Seeing the miracles in Scripture. But deep down there's no reality. He's not really healed you of your sin sickness. He's not really given you spiritual life when you were spiritually dead. You're just kind of like Judas and you're you're hanging on. Seeing what you're going to get out of this. There are a lot of people like that. So again, which group are you more like? I know you're not going to hate. I know you might not be even where Mary's at. But I think every single one of us, because Jesus is so polarizing. You get that, right? There's, with, with the polarizing, there's a North Pole and there's a South Pole. So far apart. That's what it is with Jesus. He's so polarizing that there's, there's hatred and, there, and there's love and you're going to be drawn one way or the other. You're always working towards more love or you're falling away into more hatred. So which direction are you going? And I hope and pray that everybody in here today can say that you're moving towards love. Because I think the answer to all this is understanding how much He's loved you. And I'll close with this. The Bible says, see what manner of love He has shown us. Do you understand that He gave His very best for us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't send an angel to do what Jesus did. As Mary went to her room and got the very best that she had to pour out on Him, Jesus was the very best that the Father had to offer And He gave it for you. How could you not possibly want to give Him your very best? And as that bottle was broken, you understand that God gave His very best in sending His Son Jesus. And His body was broken. That He went upon that cross. And the worst about us was laid upon His shoulders. So that the best about Him could be laid upon ours. And the curse of Almighty God was poured out on Jesus on that cross. And the Bible says in His body was broken. He was beaten. He was shattered. He was bloody to the point where He didn't even look like a man. Spear in His side, nails in His feet and in His hands, crown of thorn pushed down upon His head. As she was breaking that vial, it was symbolizing the breaking of Jesus' body on the cross. That God gave us His very best. That Jesus was broken. And that on that cross, He has lavished His love upon us. In ways that we could never even imagine. Get this, He sent His best. He was broken. And on that cross, He poured out every bit of His love toward us. The greatest symbol of love that you'll ever see is the cross. That we have been lavished (laughs) in His love I can say this, I don't know if you can, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. He's blessed us. He's loved us. That old song says, I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. 
from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, He's lavished me in love. He's lavished you in love. My cup runneth over. I've got, not just me, I believe sitting in my house. I've got a wife that He's lavished in love. He's given her new life and healed her of her sin sickness. And, and I've got a daughter, Gracie, that, that from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, He's loved her and He's healed her of her sin sickness and, and, and He's he wiped away all of her sin. And He raised her to new life. And then, then Isaiah, same thing. And It's my whole family. i got a family full of people that, that Jesus has lavished His love upon. And I'm sitting here today at church, how many of you can say, He's lavished His love upon me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. He has so loved me. Amen. Then you know what we ought to do? We ought to lavish our love back to Him. Amen. We love Him because He first loved us. We shouldn't be in the middle. We shouldn't be hating. We ought to be loving. That's where our hearts ought to be today. Loving Jesus. With everything that we have. And if there's anybody in here today who doesn't know the love of Christ, that surpasses, the Bible says, surpasses all understanding. That's beyond all comprehension that He loves us like this. And I point you to the cross where Jesus died. I'm going back. Let's start over. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm all out of order here. I want to say it one more time. Where Jesus paid our sin debt. Where He carried our sins far away. Where He bought us for Himself. And he crushed the head of Satan. Where he satisfied the wrath of Almighty God. And he reconciled us to himself. Turn to the cross. And put your faith not in the works that you do, but in the works that he did. And you'll know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. This is a beautiful story of love here. And my prayer is that our lives would look more like Mary than like those religious leaders and like Judas. Help us to love like that. Because you've loved us beyond anything we could ever imagine. Thank you for this time in your word today. And I pray that you'd use it to motivate and to inspire a deeper and greater love for you than we've ever had. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in here who's an unbeliever, that today you'd show them the condition of their heart, that they are sin sick and only Jesus can heal them, that they are spiritually dead and only Jesus can raise them to life, and that they put their faith in him today. Please, God, do a work in people's hearts here this morning. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.